Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host and nosiest of neighbors, Millie Brooks. Thank you for joining me today, guys. This is episode 42, and today we are going to talk to Monica Karen about secondary infertility. All the episodes of season three fall under the umbrella of infertility because that's something that I'm currently working through in my own life. Um, But to give you just a little bit of background here, um, about a month before I started my first IUI procedure, I started going to an infertility support group. And one of the things that I noticed while I was attending these meetings is that women who had children in the group were very guarded about sharing that information in the meetings. And being someone who was new and wanted to understand as much as I could, I felt really bad for those women that they felt like they couldn't be their whole selves in the room. They could only share part of their story. So today we are going to talk to Monica who's an amazing advocate on social media for secondary infertility. She's also been like a big sister to me throughout my own journey, helping me along the way, um, giving me guidance, giving me pointers when I when I need it. Um, she's, she's just an amazing rock star infertility warrior. So I know you're going to love this episode. Quick announcement before we move on to our chat with Monica. If you haven't followed me, myself, and Millie on Instagram, please find us and connect with me. Um, I found Monica on the old gram, and I really think that the Instagram infertility community is really powerful, and the more the merrier. So follow us. Connect with the pod, get more support when you need it. Okay, here's Monica. Monica, welcome to me, myself, and Millie. What a treat it is to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I think the only other Monica I know is Monica from Friends, and I don't even really know her. So this is really great. I do hear that a lot. And funnily enough, I have a lot in common with Monica from Friends, including (laughs) being infertile. (laughs) Well, let's start by telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Monica. I am, um, you know, just an infertile trying to navigate life. Um, I think what happens when you are infertile and you're going through your treatments is that you feel fully defined by what that is. But I am more than just that. Um, So I live in Atlanta with my husband and daughter. And I was diagnosed with secondary infertility, which means I had no trouble conceiving my daughter. And then when we were ready to have another baby, we got smacked with the infertility diagnosis. And we can get into that later. Um, 
my background for work is I was in digital publishing for about um, 14 years and was living in New York. And then my husband and I, who are both from Atlanta, we decided that we were ready to kind of leave New York. We picked up and we moved back to our hometown. And here we are. Um, And that's kind of me in a quick little nutshell. Love it. Well, walk us through your infertility journey and what exactly is secondary infertility? Yeah, of course. Um, So secondary infertility for my particular diagnosis and, and how it's always been explained to me is when you, you try to conceive a second or third child when you've had no issues before conceiving. And then all of a sudden you're in a scenario where you're not getting pregnant. So that's where the word secondary comes into play. So my husband and I had our daughter in 2014 with no issues. I mean, at the time we tried for five months and we got pregnant with her and I was like, Oh my God, like, what? this is terrible. What's, are we ever going to get pregnant? And I just felt like forever. Um, and of course, like, Oh, how naive I was. And, um, when she was about two and a half, we decided that we wanted to start trying again. And because I had been pregnant before with no issues, my OB was not concerned at all. You know, she said it can take up to a year to get pregnant. Um, and slowly, but surely I just started to feel something inside, like something is not right. And in between um, us trying for that period of time, we also ended up moving to Atlanta. So by the time 2018 hit, um, we were, we had just moved to Atlanta and I was in this scenario where I still wasn't pregnant and I had a new OB. So we were kind of at the year and a half marker at that point. And, um, my new OB also was like, Oh, don't worry if you're not pregnant by this was in July of 2018. And she said to me, if you're not pregnant by December, we'll go ahead and have you meet with a fertility specialist. So me being who I am, I was very proactive and I went ahead and I made that appointment for December. So I wasn't going to have to fight to see one because I'm sure as a lot of people know, it can take time to get your appointment. And, I met with a fertility uh, fertility specialist in December and I didn't get like our final diagnosis of everything until May of 2019, which also was kind of a shocker for me too, just in terms of how long it can take to get um, your full diagnosis. Um, and as it turned out, I have a closed tube on my left side, a lazy ovary on my right side, which I had only ever heard of a lazy ovary in Sex in the City with Miranda for all of you Sex in the City fans. Um, and my husband also had zero percent sperm motility. So my daughter is either a miracle child or a lot changed with us over the course of a couple of years. Um, so we started our fertility treatments. We did three rounds of IUI, uh, one ended in miscarriage. I had a few chemical pregnancies and then we moved on to the joy of IVF. And so you started IVF. How many rounds of IVF did you do? I was very fortunate. We did what this on our first round of IVF, we ended up getting pregnant. So we, I started IVF in October of 2019. I did my retrieval. And then in, at the end of January of 2020, 
I did our transfer and the first transfer that we did stuck, which was an incredible, amazing, wonderful feeling, but then also terrifying because I had this very weird feeling of like, I didn't go through enough to actually get pregnant, which is, you know, kind of hilarious in and of itself to like, when you say something like that out loud, because I had been through a lot, but when you look at what other people have to go through to get pregnant or not even being pregnant yet, I just kind of felt like, oh my gosh, did I really go through enough? I should have to like do three rounds of IVF before I get pregnant or something like that. It's just a weird, oh, I think a weird thing that that we kind of play a game with ourselves in. A hundred percent. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. Um, Talk about your constipation after your egg retrieval. I know you. <laughs> this is one of my favorite topics. It is literally one of my favorite topics because nobody told me that this was something that would happen. Like I had all of the, you know, my my doctor was, you know, telling me to look out for, you know, overstimulation and all of those symptoms and what that looks like. And nobody told me about the constipation. So I went in, I had my egg retrieval, everything felt great. And when we left, I was like, oh, that's it. Like, whoa, okay, no big deal. Um, And the next morning I woke up and I tried to go to the bathroom and I was like, oh man, I'm constipated. Like this isn't, this doesn't feel good. And it became between the constipation and then what I didn't realize is that the bloat doesn't happen right away with the retrieval. It's kind of like a delayed scenario. So I was in this, you know, position of I've got constipation happening and extreme bloat and trapped gas. And it was so awful. So I went on a quest to try to relieve some things. And it was a combination of just like colace and that didn't work. And then smooth move tea and that didn't work. And you know, sending my husband out at midnight to just go get some sort of laxative suppository because I was so desperate to go to the bathroom, like just not, not great. Um, thank God he did it. And honestly, nothing moved for five full days. Um, and then when I finally did go to the bathroom, it was a tiny little rock. And I was just like, (laughs) I will speak out. Get out. Get out. Oh yeah. You're fired, tiny little rock. This tiny little rock was like the bane of my existence. I was like, I can't even believe that this is possible right now, considering all of the laxative that is in me. But with that being said, I decided that I was going to speak out moving forward, no matter how I sliced it, always speak out about how awful the constipation can be because I didn't want anybody to feel what I was feeling. Like, no. And I didn't want anybody to be blindsided by it. So I've taken it upon myself to talk about the constipation and frankly, taken upon myself to talk about all the gross and disgusting things that I feel we don't really talk a lot about in the infertility community. A hundred percent. Well, I, I too had massive constipation after my egg retrieval and Tell the cocktail, me I mean, the cocktail of laxatives that I was putting through my system was just laughable. Like yeah. I couldn't believe, I I couldn't believe how, how constipated I was and how like 
just doing one small thing like taking a suppository didn't give me the full relief that I was expecting. No. And you would think that, again, I had taken Colace, just regular old like uh, stool softener Colace. Then I had taken Colace with a stimulant. Then I had taken Smooth Move Tea. Then I had taken a suppository laxative. And again, all I got was, and all I got was this rock, like just not, not a great situation, but overall on day six, my bloat finally started to subside a little bit. And I started having semi-normal, um, bowel movements, but honestly, nothing was really like quote unquote back to normal until I had my first period after my retrieval, which by the way, was like the red wedding. It was a terrible period. Oh, God. It's like the red wedding. Oh, you brown pants. You know what that means. But it wasn't great. Yes. It wasn't great. Are there any common misconceptions out there regarding secondary infertility? You know, common misconceptions. I think that there's... Um, there's just some some talk in terms of, like, what is secondary infertility? Is secondary infertility going through infertility for a second time? Is secondary infertility my situation and what I've been diagnosed with? According to, you know, what I've been told by my doctors and like all the research that I have done, um, it really is about going through infertility after conceiving without a problem. But with that being said, the one thing that I really learned about infertility in general is that some doctors describe things differently. There's probably a medical journal out there that I haven't read that describes secondary infertility in a multitude of different ways. And I am just kind of, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professional. So I really try to kind of just keep an open mind in terms of what what things mean. Um, I think for me, kind of what has happened just in general in, in the misconception world is because I speak out about infertility a lot. People end up coming to me and asking me questions. And I always have to remind people, like, I am not a doctor. I don't know certain things. You should talk to your own doctor. Um, so in terms of misconceptions of the diagnosis, I think it can just get a little confusing as to what it actually is. For me, my diagnosis is, like I said, having, uh, having no trouble to conceive first go around and then having an issue the second go around. Um, with that being said, I also think that there's some emotional misconceptions with secondary infertility. Um, I think people have, you know, a lot of people have said to me in the past, even people within the infertility community have said to me, you should just be thankful that you have a baby. You should just be thankful um, you know, that you have the opportunity. And I think what's so hard to digest about that is I am so thankful that I have my daughter who's almost five and a half and I am, or she is five and a half. She'd be so mad that I said almost, she's actually five and three quarters. Um, but I, you know, I think it's, I am so thankful that I had that experience, but that doesn't take away any of the pain that, I have felt in terms of wanting to add another child to my family, in terms of experiencing loss and miscarriage. Um, you know, we all have different stuff that we're dealing with. And it's really important, I think, 
for all of us to kind of take a step back and especially in infertility and so many things in the world outside of infertility, like let's try not to tell people what they should and shouldn't be thankful for. Amen, sister. I love it. Yeah. I think that everybody, um, I think there's a lot of like projecting of feelings onto people, you know, yeah. and, and that, that can really, I don't know, I'll speak from my own experience, but that can really cloud my judgment of like my intuition. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and it can get in your head. That stuff can get in your head. Yes, definitely. I think there were definite moments of me even wondering, like, do I fit into the infertility community? You know, you and I met through Instagram. What a beautiful place. And um, I've been listening to your podcast and, um, you know, just in Instagram land, look at going back to kind of what I talked about before that I got pregnant on my first round of IVF and on my first transfer and feeling like I didn't go through enough. And um, already having a child and experiencing, um, you know, I, I'm, I've, I have a lot of these things that other people want to have. And I am very aware of that. And I'm very thankful for it. But I also don't have the vision of my family that I always wanted. I'm, I'm 36, almost 37 years old. I had always envisioned myself to be, you know, a young ish, young ish mom. And as my own mother used to say, you know, you make plans and God laughs. Like we, we all have like a certain vision of what we think our life is going to be and shit just gets thrown our way that we can't expect. And we all need to, you know, that self doubt and just like our own intuition portion that you're talking about, how it can cloud all of that, other people's opinions. And when you're not getting a certain level of support, it's, it's like, what do you do? Do you cower in a corner and say, okay, you're right? Or do you say, hold on a second, let me try to explain where I'm coming from so we can come together and support each other, which is always my goal. Yep. Well, you kind of touched upon this. Do you ever feel like you need to hide the fact that you have a child when sharing your story on Instagram? No, it's actually something that I really try to make sure that I talk about all of the time, just because I don't want for a second to come across as disingenuous. I don't want to, you know, Instagram is such a weird, strange place. And I think that there are plenty of people out there who, you know, are, are play into kind of the I'm on Instagram acquiring followers and trying to grow my audience in a certain way. And I feel really fortunate that within the infertility community, I think we're much more of a group that's here trying to just help each other along and, and support each other. And I feel, you know, we've got this like really great community. And I think in other experiences that I've had and looking at certain Instagram accounts, painting a picture a certain way to kind of gain more followers or not even gain followers, but to try to fit in is just not going to get you what you want at the end of the day. So I, it, for me, it's really important to be as honest upfront. Like I am an open book. I talk about everything and I also address things. You know, when people have said to me, like, just be thankful you have a kid, 
I'm address those comments. I, I DM those people back and try to engage in a productive conversation. Some people who have said that to me, I now have incredible relationships with. I just, I don't want to shut people out and shut people down because I think people just don't understand. And as opposed to, you know, like putting bananas in my ears and saying like, get the fuck out of here. I want to have a conversation and really build a relationship with people. Totally. Do you ever feel excluded from the infertility circle because you already have a child? I mean, I guess you kind of talked about this, like people saying you should be so grateful is also a microaggression. And it seems like it's a way to exclude you. I would feel excluded. I have felt excluded in the past. Um, when I first started out in the infertility community, I definitely felt, um, exclusion and also people kind of like, you don't belong here, get out. Like you already have, you already have it. And, you know, I, but being who I am, I kind of just like fought my way in and found people who were so supportive. I think the one thing that's really important to remember is for every comment that I get, like, just be thankful for what you have. I get so many supportive comments and I get a lot of, um, you know, people welcoming, welcoming me in. And now that I've kind of accidentally grown this audience on Instagram that I never anticipated happening, I want to make sure that nobody ever feels the way that I felt, um, in terms of, you know, I was like, I'm getting on Instagram and I'm going to start telling my story because I wanted to find like-minded people who were going through the same thing. And it wasn't so easy to crack in. It really wasn't. Um, I think as, as open as the infertility community is, it can also be really overwhelming to try to figure out where to start. Like what hashtags do I look at and who's going to pay attention to me and what is my story? And you just kind of have to keep scratching at the surface. But from the you know, I definitely felt um, confused too. Like, should I even be telling my story? Is anybody going to be interested in this? There's so many people who've been through so much worse. But then you go down the, you know, the road of grief comparison and challenge comparison, which I think is such a dangerous place. Um, so that was a very long-winded answer. You know, yeah, I have felt excluded, but I've, I have felt more included than excluded. And I Mm -hmm. think in the world of social media, sometimes we can focus so much more on like that one negative thing versus all of the positive things that can happen. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I totally agree with you. I really, um, just in sharing my own story on Instagram specifically, I've really made friends that like the information I tell these people is like astounding to me. You know, like I we're on a very deep level here. You know, when we we're getting really close, really fast. And it doesn't matter that we're online. It doesn't matter that we don't we've never met each other face to face. I feel like I know these people on such a deep, deep level. Because you do it, it, it because you absolutely do. And I think when we talk in terms of how easy it is to kind of bully on social media, there's also this beautiful other side where it's really easy because you're behind a screen to open up to somebody who has no connection 
to your actual life. So I have made such unbelievable friends through Instagram, which is like such a weird thing that I never thought would happen (laughs) in my life. Um, But I've made these incredibly close relationships because I felt so comfortable sharing thoughts and feelings with people who don't walk around in my everyday life. If I'm frustrated with a a friend of mine for making a comment, um, you know, it's not easy for me to um, talk to one of my other friends about it because maybe I'm worried that it's going to start drama within a friend group and I don't want that to happen. But it's really easy for me to talk to these women who I have been fortunate enough to meet through Instagram about certain situations in my real life that are happening that are frustrating and kind of work through them with other people that aren't there every single day. Um, And also, there's such a commonality between all of us, no matter what your infertility diagnosis is, when you dig deep into it, infertility and loss and just the act of trying to conceive is so incredibly emotional. And we're fed these lines of BS growing up of just, you know, love, marriage and a baby carriage and terrified to have sex because I'll get pregnant. And then we're gobsmacked with our diagnosis and um, finding the community that, that lets you in is just, you know, it's, it's really incredible. The bonds that, that you form in this like very strange world of Instagram. Well, you're kind of touching upon it right now. How has sharing your story on social media helped you through this process? Oh my gosh. Um, It's been amazing. You know, I started my Instagram page because I actually knew people in my life that had been through IVF and they were all really fortunate to have success. And they were, as I was, you know, kind of talking with them about what was going on with us, they were so focused on it's going to happen for you. Hold on to hope. There's a baby in your future. And I know they were trying to be really encouraging, but I was like, no, 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 no. I want to talk about the hormones and I want to talk about the shots because I'm really scared. And I want to talk about like, you know, the nitty gritty of like, I'm already, you know, a lunatic as it is in terms of my hormones and my period. What's it going to be like when I'm doped up on gonal F or whatever my retrieval uh, protocol is going to be? And they were so far past it and uninterested, not from a place of like annoyance, but they just were like, but a, but we, but you get a baby at the end of it. And as we all know, like that is not accurate. Just, it's not that simple. And um, so I decided to go on Instagram just to kind of find other people who were going through what I was going through and maybe find some people who were just a few steps ahead of where I was. And slowly but surely, I started to see that what I was going through and what I was sharing was helping the people that were behind me in starting their own treatments or getting their diagnosis. And I was like, whoa, this is such an incredible circle of life in the infertility community where like I literally, I kid you not, 100% was the most terrified human being that ever walked the planet in terms of progesterone and oil injections. Like there was nobody that was more terrified of that needle going in my ass than me, 100%. And 
like here I am now doing like PIO 101, um, you know, teaching people how to do their. You have started a new movement with the slap method. <laughs> you got to talk about the slap slap method. And by the way, every time I tell my husband, you got to slap it. He goes, yes, Monica. Yes. I'm so glad. You know, somebody said to me recently, so the slap method came about because my husband and I were at a friend's house, um, doing our, doing PIO in the bathroom at, at a friend's house. And I had forgotten my ice pack or my heat pack. I don't even remember what I was doing at that time to try to like calm the skin before I shoved that giant needle in there. And I looked at my husband. And I was like, why don't you try to just like slap my ass really hard right before? Like, let's see what happens with that. And he smacked my ass really hard and then put the needle in. And I was like, I did not feel a thing. More than like when I tried lidocaine cream, the the ice, the heat, whatever. And I was like, this is it. This is the ticket. And just like constipation, I'm telling everybody about the slap method. Like this is happening. And somebody messaged me recently. And I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. I wish I could. But this person had said, Something about the slap method that's so great is it adds this piece of comic relief to such a crazy thing that you're doing to yourself. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that, but it's true. Um, but to kind of bring it back to to the question in terms of how it's helped me like in sharing my story, I feel like I have learned so much and from other people. And then I am able to like teach other people and help other people. And it's really, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, like there is no greater feeling than when I get a message from somebody saying, you know, you gave me the strength to tell my story, or I did my PIO shot tonight. And uh, your video helped me like that kind of stuff just means the world to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's this like massive, beautiful game of pay it forward. And it's just it really does feel so good. It really does feel so good when um, people reach out to you and say, thanks for talking about that on your podcast. You know, you know, that that feels really because, you know, I wanted I I remember when I was like knee deep in the woods of starting treatment and like it's so overwhelming. There's so many decisions you have to make. Mm-hmm. There's so many questions. And like you just, you. I wanted to armor myself with knowledge as much as I could. And that was just, it was not just like Dr. Google knowledge, but <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> you know, but like also just understanding other people's experiences, you know, yeah. was helpful. Well, it's that emotional, it's the emotional component, I think, that other people can give you. You know, you feel like less of a lunatic when you know that everybody feels like a lunatic when they're going through this. It's really fascinating to me that, you know, we're thrown this in this whole diagnosis and we're going to be given these drugs and you're putting so much into a complete unknown because, you know, when I started or before I had my infertility diagnosis, I was so naive on infertility. And I thought that IVF, I mean, literally like a few stomach shots and a butt shot and you get pregnant with twins. Like I had no concept 
of what this journey actually entailed. And so when you can find people to connect with on the emotional level, it's, it helps so much to get through the day. Yep. Yep. What have you gained from telling your story? Like, has anything surprised you? You know, I think just in general, through this whole thing, I've gained just a complete different understanding of myself and who I am. Um, I did. And in telling my story, that part, that part really shines for me just in terms of, you know, I was a person who I never liked to cry. Strength to me and bravery was like very, you know, traditional terms of strength. Like I don't cry and I speak my mind and, um, you know, being brave was taking huge risks and seeing success. And I think what I've gained from infertility is knowing that being brave and being strong does mean that sometimes you fall on the floor and you don't get up for a while. And it does mean that you say enough is enough or no, I'm, I'm too scared. I am not going to do that. And those things are okay. Um, so it's given me this whole new definition of strength and bravery and really who I am in terms of this multifaceted person who really was holding myself back in a lot of feelings because I was afraid to not be strong. And the infertility journey for me, like I've cried more in the last, I mean, really three years since all of this started for us than I have probably my entire life. Like this infertility, I will say my mother died almost five years ago. And this journey has been, you know, the loss of my mother will be with me forever. And this is not to take away from it, but the emotional toll that infertility takes on you is just a whole different ball game because it's, you know, it impacts your relationships. It impacts, um, how you look at yourself. It impacts, you know, you, what you feel your self worth. I am, I'm a woman. I am supposed to be designed to make babies and carry a baby. And, you know, my husband, as a man, he's supposed to, you know, sperm is supposed to be his thing and strength. And he had 0% motility. So I think for for both me and my husband, it was just this was this really big eye opener for us to kind of be open and honest in terms of sharing this story is a huge thing that has also brought us together with other people who are going through it, who never would have had an opportunity to feel safe talking about it. So it's this world of like, I feel like I've gained a whole new definition of strength and bravery. And also I feel like I've been able to provide a place for people to feel safe. Like I did a whole post on talking about sex and infertility. Like, is there sex and infertility? I don't know. If somebody finds it, let me know because I've lost it. (laughs) Give them my number. Yes, I'd love to know how it's going, please. So, you know, I just, it's, it's, I want, you know, like I say a lot, it's like there's such lunacy and emotional hardship and God, it's just so hard. And being able to connect with people who really know what that journey is makes all the difference. 
I think that you're touching on something that I too can relate to very closely, which is not having a mom and going through this stuff. Yes. Yeah. That is really, really hard. That yeah. is, that was like, that was another layer on top of it all. You know, because your mom, you tell your mom everything, right? I mean, I don't know. I did. I told my mom everything. Like the day I got my period, I had a dozen (laughs) red roses, uh, you know, on the table waiting for me. You know, like it was just a beginning of like, okay, I'm entering womanhood. My mom is somebody that I talk to about woman, like what's happening in my womanly, womanly body you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so that was why I really, that was one of the reasons I wanted to share about my story on Instagram was to feel, you know, nothing will ever compare to the love that my mom would have given me right now or strength. But I just knew I needed, uh, I needed a spiritual army to get me through this, you know? I do. I feel like I'm having like a therapy session right now in terms of understanding (laughs) and just like having a moment of like, holy cow. Okay, wait a second. This was this huge thing that was missing for me and all of what we were going through. And my mom struggled um, to get pregnant with me and my brother. She had endometriosis and it was not something that was I mean, we still don't know a lot about endometriosis. Um, I don't want to talk about endometriosis from a, like, it's not my diagnosis. I just know so many women who do have it. And, you know, I would love to talk to my mom about what this is like and what miscarriage is like and what um, so desperately wanting a child is like, and she's not here. And so just listening to what you're saying, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So I was looking I was looking for something and I did find it on Instagram. I was looking for that. There's a, do you watch Insecure? Do you watch Insecure on HBO? I have not tapped into that, but it's on my list. Well, let me tell you, I highly recommend it. And there is, with there, it does not give anything away about the show, but there is a scene where the main character goes to see her mom and her mom just looks at her and she knows something is up. And her mom just says, come here, baby. And then she puts her arms around her daughter and she gives her a hug. And I just was, I started crying hysterically and I was like, it's never going to happen for me again. Like that, that mom hug Mm, of, and how desperately I could have used that over the course of the last, you know, three years of just my mom hugging me or like listening to my mom's voice over the phone. And, and your mom's smell, like, you know, the mom's smell, you know, your mom's smell, right? Yes. 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 A hundred percent. That just all of it. And the sound too, of when you hug her, um, her breath, like, you know, her, her breath pattern, it's just, you want that all encompassing feeling that you were just talking about. And there is something to be said about how Instagram, there is a little bit of a maternal thing that you can find with people who have already been through this and the way that they'll talk to you and champion you and, 
and also give it to you straight. One thing that I really love about the women that I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with on Instagram is like when I'm being just like when I need a swift kick in the ass because I'm too down in the dumps and I need to just like pick myself up, they give me my time to be down, but they're also like, all right, it is time to get up. It is time to wash your face and it is time to go and face the world. And I think what we can all get from Instagram too, is that like we can pick and choose the relationships that are right for us. And in a way I've really picked women who remind me a lot of my mother. That's a, it's a really fascinating point. Well, if there's somebody listening to this episode right now that is maybe struggling with infertility or secondary infertility, what advice do you have for them? Oh my goodness. Secondary infertility for me was just, the diagnosis was the hardest thing in terms of once I finally got it and looking back on the time that I had lost. So we had basically been trying for almost two years by the time I got my diagnosis or over, actually over two years by the time I got my diagnosis. And, you know, I would say my, my biggest piece of advice really is, um, listen to yourself. And if you feel like something is not right, advocate for yourself tell your doctor you think something isn't right. Um, but you know, that that's kind of the diagnosis portion. Um, the emotional component, your story is valid. Your journey is valid. It is okay that you have a child and you so desperately want another child. You do not have to feel guilty that you were able to bring a child into the world without an issue. And you're sad that you can't conceive another one without help. Um, and also it's really hard going through your treatments and balancing being a parent. Um, I was totally just on my ass during my retrieval meds and same thing with my transfer meds. Um, and it was really hard for me I remember sitting upstairs in my bedroom, hearing, you know, my husband and my daughter playing and I was, I'm the play parent too. And just being like, I am up here and all I want is another baby. And I can't even muster up the strength to go and hang out with my baby right now that I already have. And all I want is another baby. And I felt so just kind of worthless as a mother, as I was trying to create another life. And it's only now that I'm out of it because it's that, that portion of your drugs is not forever, but it really messes with you emotionally and physically and mentally. Just know that you are enough and you are amazing. And in those moments when you need to take a break, it's okay that you need to take that break. Give yourself the grace. Like you are pumping yourself full with whether you're just doing an IUI or you're still trying to conceive naturally or you're going through IVF, when you want another baby and it's not happening, that is a very valid feeling. And I see you and I feel you and you can always find me and, and we will touch base in a way and I will validate you because you are valid. <laughs> you are valid. Well, well, that dovetails into my last question here. I mean, to wrap things up, how can people follow you and your journey? Yeah, so I am on the Instagram, as we have talked a lot about on on here today. 
And my handle is my my so-called IVF, but it's my underscore so underscore called underscore IVF. So it's kind of a mouthful, but it's my so-called IVF with all underscores underneath. I love it. That's a throwback to, oh, there's my dog. I love um, it. Hey, I, I can't believe she's been quiet this whole time. This is a she's miracle. A she's a doll. Um, she is. She is. Um, hold on one second. Uh, well, thank you. Um, okay. <laughs> Small derail, but I, um, oh, the, your, your Instagram handle is a throwback to the 90s MTV show, My So-Called Life, correct? You are so correct. It was actually originally on ABC. I just want to give ABC <laughs> the credit for the show. Um, and Let's then it get ended like, up, precise about this. And then this. it ended up running on, on MTV. But yes, it is a throwback to My So-Called Life, which was the greatest show that was ever created on television. And I can't believe it was only one season. And I still, to this day, need to know what happened between... Angela and Rayanne and Jordan Catalano love triangle. Like I need to know if she rectified her friendship with Rayanne. I mean, now we're just rambling on something, but for you, my so-called life fans, <laughs> it's really challenging to like, still I'm 36 years old. That show came out when I was in fifth grade. So here I yes. am still thinking about it. Well, Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. And, um, it was awesome to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. All right. We'll see you soon. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.